now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is the Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Yo, good morning. Welcome everybody to episode number. Drum roll, please. I forgot to look it up. It's it's one seventy one, right? Is that where we're at here? Uh, yeah, 171. Hot diggity. 171 of these. Man, they're coming a little slower these days. I ain't gonna lie. Oops, bump the microphone. Shoddy production quality is 171 episodes, and I still haven't learned how to produce a professional sounding podcast. Lame, lame. Um, I'm getting some echo here. It's because I'm plugged into my speakers, and suddenly, boom. Oh, that fixes it. Look at that. Awesome. Did that... Uh, Okay, I didn't make any weird noises in here. Cool. How y'all doing? Uh, that was uh, that was my song that you just heard in the intro there. That might be the new intro for the podcast. I don't know until I come up with something something new and something cool. Um, I'm working on more uh, uh, at home music production and stuff, so we might get a little bit more uh, variety in the show music here. That song is um, the title track off the upcoming album. That is Search and Recovery. That was. Uh, my lovely wife singing there. And also, um, there was a, a harmony. There was a background vocal in there. Um, our friend Trey Jones, who is, um, uh, who is a member of our band, but for this album has uh, really just done some background vocal work, and and that just happened. Uh, what was it on Mon Wednesday for the first time actually? So, you know, the trick with doing an album, it's kind of weird. Like you're you're not rock stars or anything like that. Like everybody still has day jobs, and so with Trey, you know. Because our, our days are like, you know, when we're in the studio, it's the the optional days are Monday through Friday and the studio day is nine to five. She's like, I work nine to five. I can't take days off to go in the studio. <laughs> like, yeah, it kind of sucks. And, you know, the only reason that we're able to get this done now, um, honestly, is because of the pandemic, because otherwise, like, you know. My my wife has spent 11 days in the studio recording vocals. There's no way she could do that during the school year. It's just not possible. During the summer, yeah, but you know the summer just started. And so we started this process not realizing how much time it was going to take of hers in the studio to get the work done. Um, I was thinking like, yeah, she can do the whole thing in three or four days. No, 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 no. It, it's been, I think, 11, and she's got one more to do to kind of finish everything up. So it'll be 12, 12 days in the studio, just her. Um, so yeah, the only way you can do this is if you have a, a job with a really flexible schedule where you can take a lot of time off, or if you're a teacher and you want to record it during the summer, or if you've got a global pandemic and schools are shut down. And so she's still doing, still teaching online, but suddenly she has, you know, fewer time constraints. So she can do her online lessons like at night, whatever, and, and, uh, spend a day in the studio if she has to here and there. So anyway, um, we're almost done. We are almost done. Um, I'm excited for that. And uh, it's been a process, man. It really has. So we've got, I think, two days left. We're going to go in for like, she's got a half a day to tidy up a song um, and do a couple of other tiny little things on um, one or two additional songs. So, um, and then I've got, one or two guitar parts that I want to redo. And other than that, it's me spending hours upon hours upon hours listening to the 13 songs that we have ready here and going over and making my final list of every little correction I want to make, every little adjustment, every little tweak, every little thing that doesn't sound right. 
um, and get those fixed. At this point, I don't think that's going to involve re-recording everything. It's going to be a mixed thing. Like this has a little too much mid-range here. This is getting lost in the mix. Can you bring this up? Can we double that over here? I want this to hit a little bit harder. It's going to be that kind of stuff. So, um, and then it goes off for mastering and then it's done and then it's out and then you'll all be able to hear the whole thing and be like, God, thank God he will finally stop talking about it. Oh yeah. You think it's going to be the end of it after that? You're wrong. You just don't know me that well. No, this will continue. So I'm actually taking a class right now. It's an online class, but Hey, you know, it's legit. Um, it's a class taught by a, uh, a, producer and songwriter Andrew Wong who's he's got a, a YouTube following of a, a couple million people um, but he's got this this class where he teaches music production online I'm like hey I can go for that just because a lot of it's more like you know electronic style music production which is totally not my thing um, so it's like yeah, it's a good way to you know kind of expand the horizons a little bit cool um, and he also um, he teaches the process start to finish so from like songwriting and music theory I'm like yeah I got that I'm good there I'm good with my process there um uh all the way through recording and the production elements and when you're doing everything electronically it's very different um and so I learned some new things there and he also goes into like some modern production techniques for like you know I've learned learned some dubstep techniques which would have been useful seven or eight years ago um and also just, you know, the kind of stuff that you hear like in modern music, which is totally foreign to me. And I'm always like, I don't even know what the fuck that sounds like. What is that? What are they doing there? Well, now I know. It's like, okay, everything's a synth. Okay, cool. Uh, everything's programmed. It's lame. Um, but whatever. It's kind of fun to play around with it. Uh, and so it's it's that. It's, it's songwriting through the production and then mixing and mastering at home as well. So that was useful just because I want to be able to take our band and do some tracks start to finish. Um, like some singles, some one-offs, some covers, and post those online available as well to download. And those have to be mastered. And I don't want to send, you know, if we, if we spend a, a weekend tracking um, a cover song that we feel cool with and we're happy with that and we want to post it, I don't necessarily every time want to have to spend, you know, one to 200 bucks to send it off to get it mastered just so I can put it online. So if I can do that stuff myself um, for little informal releases here and there, all the better, all the better. So, uh, that class is going well today. Actually, my job is to mix and master the first song, um, which I, I've, I wrote it. I arranged the whole thing. I performed the whole thing. I sequenced it all. I'm like, it's kind of cool. And, you know, you submit it for peer feedback to everybody else that's in the class. So there's like, you know, 30 people in your peer group that are all um, taking the class at the same time. So you post your updates and they get the opportunity to chime in and offer feedback. And I tell you what, some people are doing some really cool stuff. Most people are producing just noise, um, which... The, the funny thing is, I'm listening to this track, I'm like, there is no redeeming value in listening to this at all. And it's not like, oh my God, it's just there's stuff happening everywhere. Like, there's nothing happening here. This is boring. This is like, you know, yoga meditation music. And and people are commenting in like, oh man, I could totally, I, I could totally, I'm totally vibing this. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is terrible. There's nothing here. Of course, I say that about most music, most modern pop music as well. But this is like, I mean, the, the goal behind this song was it was supposed to be instrumental as well, this first one. So um, <clears throat> that being said, 
I submit mine in there, which is very much like it. It's, it sounds kind of orchestral with some synths in there as well. And everybody's like, this isn't really my style of music. I'm like, I know, I know. It's because you can actually hear like real instruments in here. Uh, and <laughs> like I didn't use shitty, cheap, fake sounding electronic drums, which I realize is all the rage, but I can't stand it. And so one guy said, you, the, these drums, these acoustic drums you're using, they sound really fake. You should use electronic drums. I'm like, what? <laughs> First of all, they don't sound fake. They're a little over compressed, but that's a that's a choice that I made. Um, the samples that I'm using, the the kit that I'm that I'm using is actually incredibly realistic. It is a real kit that's been sampled. It sounds phenomenal. Um, I just compressed the hell out of it because I wanted to because I like the way that sounds. Uh, so it doesn't sound fake. It sounds over compressed. And the solution, if something sounds fake, is not to replace it with something that is more fake. Um, anyway. Point being, moral of the story, I hate people, um, and that's not uh, that's not news for anybody. Um, so this track, uh, I made a comment here, and then I'll, I'll get on to the news of the day because we got some stuff to talk about here for sure. So um, I'm getting it all out of my system early on, and then it's all business. Uh, the... The point of the track is to, you know, layer it, experiment with some new stuff, and, you know, pull yourself out of your comfort zone. So I'm like, all right, cool. So... My typical setup is, okay, I'm going to do a drum track, a bass track, a piano track, and then put some guitars on there and leave room for vocals. Cool. And the, the guitars, you know, I've done anywhere from one guitar track all the way up to 10 or 11 if I really felt it was necessary. So um, that's my usual operation. That's what a usual arrangement for one of my songs looks like. This one has a drum track, four different bass tracks, four different keyboard tracks, um, like, you know, um, electric and acoustic pianos, uh, one guitar track, which is not a guitar. It's just a, a, excuse me. It's a keyboard track that kind of sounds like a guitar. Um, some sound effects, um, some samples, like there's a, uh, a rhythmic sample of a tennis ball bouncing on the floor that I put in, in one spot, which sounds kind of cool. Um, and, uh, I think 14 synth tracks, um, so way, way outside of the norm of what I would typically do. So it's been an interesting process. So, uh, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe you'll get a, <clears throat> maybe you'll have the burden of hearing that at some point down the road. Who knows? So anyway, let's get to it. We got a lot of things to go over here. We've got some voicemails. I've got some questions that got emailed in that I'd like to cover as well at some point here. So we've got a whole bunch of stuff that we could talk about. Let's start with some voicemail, shall we? Let's see. We're going to go back. The oldest one of these I have here. Wow, really? May 15th? That can't be right. Oh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Hopefully you're not going to have to listen to me clear my throat for the next 45 minutes here. Um, that's right. May 15th. That, that's Emily's. Yeah. I'm still going to save that, Emily. Yeah, I, I know that's you. So this is from June 1st. I have no idea who this is. So we're going to get to that, though, and see what we got here. Hey, Aaron. This is Martina from Overland Park, Kansas. Um, I have a few questions, actually, about farms. Now, you touched on farms in one of your podcasts from way, way back in the day, and it piqued my interest. So I went on, I researched a few websites and found uh, science.bio and ordered a few, and besides the fact that they tasted like nail polish remover, I got no results from them whatsoever. So uh, my questions are, what farm facts would you recommend 
for a woman who is trying to cut. Um, if you know any reliable websites that I could order from, um, and what results from that fact should I be looking for, uh, you know, besides the cutting? So that's my question. Um, thank you. Still listening to your podcast. I'm all caught up and hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for all you do. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, Martina. Good stuff. Glad you're still listening as well. Um, so, SARMs. Oh, SARMs. How I, I both love you and hate you um, at the same time. Um, they, SARMs really kind of piss me off. They do. I'm not going to lie. So, let, let's, let's talk sourcing first. And let me just get the big caveat out of the way. There are huge, huge, I've mentioned this before, huge, huge quality control issues with SARMs, as in there is none. So it's all about, do you trust the place that you're buying this from? Full disclosure, I've never used a SARM. Um, so, but I've worked with a lot of people who have. Um, and the results have been very mixed. Anything like from what you said to, wow, these things work really well to, wow, I got great results from these, but the side effects are nuts. Holy crap, which means it's not a SARM. Because if it is, again, this stuff has not really been clinically tested and put through the ringer. So we don't really, really know. Uh, and so there's always a little bit of a concern with taking something like that. Uh, as opposed to an anabolic steroid, which has been clinically tested out the ass, and we know everything that it does, assuming that you get what what you think you're getting, um, which if it's not prescribed to you, is always a little bit of a roll of the dice. So you've got to trust your source there. Um, and that's where, you know, these websites, these are faceless entities. Um, and uh, it's it's tricky. So I could recommend a source and say like, you know, science.bio, that would be one that I know has a good reputation. Um, there's good comments if you, I mean, the best best source here is if you just search discussion forums and specifically Reddit has a lot of good discussion on this as well. Um, you'll get people who, who will put in a good word for a source here and there. You might get people that work from these sources um, chiming in there also. The, the concern that I have is, you know, any source can have a good batch and then the next batch, it's a crapshoot. So, you know, science.bio, I'm not trying to pick on them. I don't know anything about them. I have no firsthand experience with them at all. And I, the same thing would apply to any website that sells this stuff. Um, you know, you get a batch. Somebody's like, wow, this stuff is great. Cool. A month later, somebody, you know, uh, somebody purchased from the same website. It's a different batch. It's not the same product. Um, or do, do these batches get deliberately shifted out here and there? You know... I've got to think that's unlikely, but at the same time, I have a history, a proven history, a proven personal history of being really too naive and trusting. So I don't know. If I don't know these people, I'm going to assume they're capable of anything. And that might mean screwing people over. It might mean tainting their products with cheaper alternatives of stuff that is not as you know supposedly safe and is uh, going to yield a similar result, but give you, uh, give you more side effects. It's certainly a possibility. So... Um, I, I will cite this article once again. I'm here. Listen to me citing an article, something I read. I don't even remember what it was, but this is lazy journalism right here, but it's the only kind that I know how to do. Uh, 
where it was some article that I said that was quoting a researcher who said that they analyzed some samples of SARMs and found that it was somewhere between 50 and 70% of them had significant elements of, uh, of compounds other than what was supposed to be in there. So that was pretty much the nail in the coffin for me as far as ever recommending SARMs. Um, that being said, if someone asks, I will give them that whole spiel, that whole disclaimer and say, I really don't recommend it. But if you're not looking to go the anabolic route, you want something for a little bit of a boost. Okay. You know, buyer beware, you know, you're, you're the one taking the risk here. Um, I kind of wash my hands of it as far as, you know, responsibility and liability are concerned. But what I would say, uh, the, the, the first, uh, SARM that I would always recommend would be rad 140. Um, and I wouldn't take any SARM with the express idea of something that will help you lean out because some of them are a little bit more geared towards that, but they're not necessarily going to, you know, aggressively push in that direction. So the ones that I would consider would be rad 140, LGD 4033 and Osterine. Those are the three that I would be, I would be looking at. Carterin is another one. Um, I don't know. Uh, th- those those four are the only four that I would really consider. Um, S four, not a fan. I haven't haven't really experienced anything positive from that. That's the other one that people will often push. Even Austrian, I find that that the the biggest impact that you're going to get from that is going to be something uh, along the lines of smoothing out old injuries. So I've recommended it for that a couple of times as a, a light recommendation. Uh, so this is something like this joint just isn't happy, man. I got this tendonitis acting up. Osterine can help with that for sure. So other than that, um, you're looking at LGD rad 140. Um, th- those are really the two that I would recommend. Um, and you can, you can, the good thing about SARMs is you can stack multiples of these, just be moderate with your doses and keep in mind the same rule that uh, would apply to anabolic supplies here, you know, take the least amount that you can get away with. Um, as far as what to expect, um, the that is a loaded question. Uh, not your fault, Martina. <laughs> but that's a tricky question because um, I don't know anything about how you train or anything like that. So, and let me you know again, no personal attacks here or anything like that. I just don't know. Um, man, I'm clipping a lot here. Hold on. Can I? Uh, I've got a limiter on here. Oh, the limiter is before the compressor. I've got to fix that. Okay, that should fix the issue there a little bit. Let me just see. Ooh, wow, that really changed things, didn't it? Test, test, test. Yeah, no. If I'm if I'm talking loud, it's still working. Okay, cool. So, there that should help things a lot. If I was uh, if you're hearing any pops and clicks before there, I'll put a master limiter on the main bus as well, just to make sure that doesn't become an issue. Is that okay? We're already on there. Good. Okay, we should be set. I think we're okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so where was I? Oh yeah. So it, it comes down to your lifting intensity. So I don't know how you lift. So if you, if you're like, okay, you know, and I'm not, I'm going to go with like my assessment. If it's, if I'm watching you, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, she's, she's lifting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the results that you should uh, expect out of it are, I would say pretty linear to what your workout intensity looks like. If your workout intensity is okay, you should expect okay results, which is going to be like, you know, you would get okay results from not using anything. If your workout intensity is like, holy balls, she is trying to kill herself. What the fuck is she doing? Oh my God, that's seriously impressive. Wow. Then yeah, you're going to get a much greater result from something like this as well. Of course, it also depends on what the diet's doing. Um, the main, the only reason I would really recommend taking a SARM or an anabolic of any kind is if you're trying to grow, if you're trying to lean out, 
again, some of them are a little bit more geared towards that, but they're not necessarily going to help accelerate things in that direction. So I wouldn't be looking for that way. I would be looking more in terms of muscle growth than anything else. That's the main thing. So, um, yeah, I know that's that's kind of a vague answer, but it's really tied to workout intensity. So that's another reason why I, I will always recommend to people, if you're going to take a SARM or an anabolic or something like that, make sure you're dialed in. Make sure you're not in cruise control or anything like that. You're not coasting. You're not in a position where it's like, hey, my workouts are 80%. No, screw that. No, if you're going to take something like this, you need to be giving it 100% balls to the wall, everything you got, effort every single freaking day. Um, anything else and, you know, all of these compounds, they, they do run a risk of taking a toll on your body. Now, it, it might not be a huge risk, but it's some risk. And it might not be a huge toll, but it's some toll. And so if you're going to do that, you better get everything you freaking can out of it. So maximize it. If you're not ready for that, if you can't sustain that, don't cycle anything. That's the, that's the main thing. So great, great question, Martina. Appreciate that. What else we got here? Hey, Darren. It's Tasha from Texas. Just had a quick question that um, I think may apply to others or others may be curious about. My question is, <clears throat> if would your calories be the same for maintenance as it was previously, uh, more specifically for me, but uh, kind of a good scenario for others, which is <clears throat> that you've went through a cut um, or, or a prep and then you hit maintenance and then into off season and then you do another one would your maintenance calories or intake or macros be the same as it was previously or does that change because you've now recut and also built hopefully built more muscle hope all is well thank you bye Awesome. Thanks, Tasha. Good question. Uh, no. Okay. Next question. What do we have next? Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> that would be kind of funny though. Uh, I did have somebody, uh, had a client recently who told me I'm not as funny as I think I am. That hurt a little bit. Although I had to reply and say, it's okay. I don't think I'm funny at all because I hear it all the time from my wife that I'm not funny. So I might come across as thinking I'm real funny. Trust me. I, I don't, I know better. I do. I do. Um, so great question, Tasha. So basically what you're looking to, to know here is does your floor change your, your maintenance floor? Does that change? Um, and the answer is absolutely. Of course it does. Yeah, for sure. No question about it. Now, is it going to change rapidly? Um, like let's say you are in maintenance mode, uh, trying not necessarily to aggressively grow or anything like that. Just maintain keep things kind of, you know, even keeled, steady, and then you go into pre-contest mode and then da, 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 diet down, diet down, show day, victory, woohoo, awesome, rebound, cool, and then maintenance mode again. Um, are those intake levels going to be the same? Not necessarily at all. Prep changes you. You know, your metabolism takes a hit. Um, as you rebound, how you rebound, um, that will impact your metabolism as well. And that's what you're looking at here. I mean, your, your maintenance caloric intake is a direct reflection of your, your metabolism, assuming other variables change. So the other thing that could um, factor into this is if your activity level changes. Like your, um, you decide during one... Um, I mean, this is very obvious, but during one maintenance phase, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to maintain. I'm not going to do any cardio. And then you realize like, man, I got really unhealthy. That wasn't good. Okay, next time around, I'm going to, uh, when I maintain, I'm going to do 20 minutes of cardio every day. 
Okay, cool. Well, yeah, so your maintenance caloric intake is going to be different then, of course, because your expenditure has changed. If your job changes, you go from a sedentary job and then suddenly you decided you were going to start your second career as a landscaper. Yeah, your maintenance is going to change there. So, of course, that's a really obvious, uh, stupid example, but you get the idea. Like, you know, little changes there, habitual changes. You get a dog, suddenly you're walking that dog 30 minutes every morning. Okay, there you go. Your maintenance is going to change there. So those are all external factors that can impact what, how, how your maintenance floor might change a little bit. But also, yeah, you go through prep or, you know, you just diet for a little bit. You grow for a little bit. You come back down to maintenance. What you'll find is that your body changes a little bit. It's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. And I think being aware of that is good. And I think also kind of going with the flow and understanding that your metabolism changes over time. And it doesn't always just decrease as you age. That is the more common trend, but it's not always the case. Um, you'll find people, uh, people who are like serial competitors who will do a show uh, every year or three shows every year. And they say, yeah, and after the show, I always go back to 1,500 calories and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, that's great. But um, those are the people I also find, you know, when, when somebody falls into a predictable pattern like that, um, where they always, you know, revert back to this and this is the prep that I do. And so, you know, this is what I do at 16 weeks. I start here. And then by the time I get to six weeks, I'm doing this like, okay, cool. So that is a recipe to look exactly the same every freaking time out. I mean, it's, it's, a. a a fair approach if you're going to coach yourself because if you found something that works for you okay cool you know don't don't futz with it or you know you could try and get a little creative push yourself a little bit more but i find that if you are in that in in that classification where you're always doing the same thing like my maintenance calories are always like this well it's not like that's always what's best for your body um that's just what you always do and those two things can be very different so Tasha, answer your question, yes. Um, so that absolutely can change and almost certainly does change. Now, does it always change in a way that is necessarily, you know, perceivable? Like, you know, if, if we could hook you up to a computer and you're a robot and like in Westworld, we could, you know, re read every little detail that's going through your body and how you're processing everything. And that would be kind of cool as a fun little exercise. Um, we might say like, oh, okay, well, last year at this time, Tasha's maintenance level was 2,047 calories per day. This year, it's 2,084 calories per day. Okay, well, that's not going to impact how you do anything, you know. I mean, <laughs> so that's not you're not going to make dietary changes because you're, you're burning 40 more calories per day on average. So the same diet is going to give you the same perceived level of maintenance, which is fine. So some of those changes might not be huge. And I think that's probably the most realistic thing is it will change and vary and vary uh, and fluctuate a little bit here and there. But sometimes, you know, big events like a really hard prep, a really bad rebound that can cause it to change a little bit more significantly. Um, more muscle on your frame can cause it to change more significantly as well. You know, if you are rocking show day on your first show and you're 129 pounds on stage and two years later you come back and you're 139 pounds on stage but every bit is lean yeah your maintenance calories are going to be higher for sure so um okay so good question once again though let's uh, let's uh what else we got here who's next hey coach this is dana weinzettel calling from minneapolis again uh, I had another question for you. So I've heard um, on previous episodes, you sort of alluding to, uh, you know, people that enter multiple divisions. Um, not, I'm not talking about crossover, but just people that may, um, let's use figure, for example, so they enter debut, novice, and the overall. I've heard you sort of allude to um, judges 
kind of getting irritated when they see the same person coming up on stage multiple times. But at the same time, you know, if I'm paying all this money, I, I just want to get my my money's worth and um, experience on stage. So I just wanted to see what your thoughts on entering multiple divisions was. If you can give me any information, that would be wonderful. Thanks so much. Hey, Dana, good question. So, man, throwing my words back in my face, what did I allude to? I'm going to need you to cite chapter and verse and let me know exactly what you were talking about there, what, what I was talking about there, because honestly, I have no freaking clue at all. Um, what could I have been talking about? I think I have an idea. So, and it, it may have been a simple misunderstanding. It may have been a simple, uh, I don't know, shift in vocabulary or something like that. So let's, let's talk some things over here and, and hash some details out. Um, let's talk category, first of all. Category is going to be, uh, you know, figure, bikini, physique, wellness, bodybuilding, classic physique, men's physique. Those are your categories. Divisions are going to be like uh, novice, open, masters, etc. And then your class is going to be like open A, open B, open C, open D, etc. So category, division, class. Um, so you can't cross over into other classes, you know, if you're if you're figure A, you can't cross over into figure B because you ain't tall enough. You know, if you're a master's 35 plus, well, you can't actually cross over to master's 45 plus if you happen to be 45 years or older because, uh, you know, you can compete in a master's class that is under your age bracket. If you're 50, you can compete in master's 35 plus, master's 45 plus, and master's 50 plus, for example. So that is where you can do a class crossover. Um, a category crossover depends on the show. It depends on the organization. Some will allow it and some will not. The correct answer is to not allow it. When you allow category crossovers, like competing in bikini and figure, you blur the lines and you make it harder for the judges. Eh, you could potentially make it harder for the judges. They, they could also just, you know, <laughs> stay in their lane. Um, but also, I mean, you're, you're sending the wrong signal. What you need to do is say, okay, your physique should fit into one of these categories. Freaking pick one. It might not be the right one, but pick one. See how it goes, and then try a different one. Um, I think it's a mistake because you know, I've seen it before, and I've told this story before, and I've, I've seen this. This was at the – oh, what was the name of this show? It was in Lincoln City, Oregon. What did they call it? It was the – oh. Oh, hell, I can't remember. I can't remember. But it was, was – oh, man. Um this would have been 12, 13 years ago, something like that, um, where the, this was, you know, before women's physique was a thing. Um, but they had, there, there was one woman who showed up, and she, she, she had a great physique for sure, and she could kind of do, do it all. She won her class in bikini and figure and bodybuilding. That should never happen. It should not be allowed to happen. Those are three completely different looks. The same person simply should not win all three of those. Now, also, this was a smaller show. So, you know, bodybuilding, it was like a class of three. I think figure there might have been four women up there or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's possible. It's like, yeah, okay, well, she's the best of the bunch. But, I mean, she, she was good for sure. But she, it just shouldn't happen. I mean, they're different. Otherwise, don't have, um, don't have categories at all. Just put everybody on stage and just see who judges like the best that day. They might as well. Um, so category crossovers shouldn't be allowed, but they typically are. Just It just depends on the show. Um, division 
crossovers are the most common. So, and that that's like, okay, I'm going to do novice and open and masters all within figure or whatever. Totally cool. And that, um, no, I have no problem with that whatsoever. What I might've said, I'm going to put words in my mouth here. I might've said that I get sick of watching that in the audience. Like, Oh, here's so-and-so again. Eh, all right, whatever. Um, but you know, that's mostly just because show day for me is long whenever I go and I'm sitting there looking at my watch. And when I see the same person come up on stage three, four or five times, I'm like, good Lord. Eh. Uh, but that's just me being a, a cynical jackass more than anything else. The judges don't care. They're, they're going to assess everybody. And yeah, you're, you're well within your right to do, um, as many division, um, crossovers as you see fit and have the budget for, and are willing to shove money into the promoter's pocket. Derby, what are you doing? Derby has this toy. Derby. Hi. Hey, girl. She has this toy. It's a little, um, uh, it's a plush toy, but it's a little spaceship, and it has little holes in it, and there's these little aliens that come with it, and they go in the in the holes, so then the dog will go to it and pull the alien out of the hole. So it's like a, a little thing to keep her busy, and so we have all these little aliens that are missing, like, heads and arms and legs, and occasionally we'll just stuff random stuff inside the spaceship, which has proven to be quite durable, and she's pulling it around all over the place, and now she is stuffing her head in one of the holes looking for something. I don't think there's anything in there, girl. We haven't put anything in there in a little while, but she just came charging down the stairs with that with her face buried in it i'm just amazed she didn't trip and fall down the stairs anyway moral of the story derby is really cute uh so yeah uh uh those crossovers are totally fine so what you're looking at there and i, I just had a conversation and man actually I, did, I had two emails with clients about this topic this morning actually very timely so um you're looking at typically as far as the category no i'm sorry the divisions are concerned um true novice novice masters open you mentioned overall overall is what you vie for if you win your class like within open or something like that there's open a b c d um then uh, the winners of all those classes will get together and compete on stage for the overall so that's not something you can enter that's something that where if you win your class you go and you do the overall after that um so true novice novice um or debut would be true novice as well depending on the organization they might call it something different uh masters open those are um the ones you're looking for uh oftentimes the rec the question comes like what do you recommend what class and so this is all a crapshoot it's like you never know um derby is now sitting on taz he's laying down on his side he's just sitting there minding his own business and she's just gone and planted her butt on him and she's just sitting there now she's bending over and she's licking his face they're hilarious they really are uh you, you can't predict what, um, how competitive, what classes are going to be. I have seen shows where honestly the true novice category, um, was the most, I'm sorry, true novice division. I'm going to keep saying that wrong. Was the most competitive one up there, more competitive than the open. You just never know. You never know. Um, usually, usually, um, I would say, you know, you get one shot at true novice. If you don't take it in your first show, you can't do it in your second show. You know, it's, a, it's your debut first show, um, category. So it makes sense to do that in your first show. But at the same time, I've seen enough cases where it was just a really low level of competition, like depending on the, on the, uh, the, the category, you might be the only one in there who knows. So, um, 
I don't usually recommend that one. Novice is always a good starting place. And I usually tell people, stick in novice until you win it. Or if you come in second and you're like, well, you know, it was kind of a toss-up. I could have taken first. Okay, cool. That's fine. You kind of paid your dues there and then move up to open. Now, also, if we're feeling really good about where you're at, and, and even if it's first show, you know, if you're, if you're looking competitive, you'll know or your coach will tell you. And you, you might ask the question, like, should I enter open? And if your coach answers like, uh, yes, <laughs> that means, like, you're coming in way sharper than you think and you need to give yourself a little credit. Um, so it would be fairly rare that I would recommend that somebody compete in um, open in their first show. But, um, you know, it, it's certainly a possibility. Um, just as far as like, you know, how competitive you can be and that kind of stuff. I always want to make sure that people are in place, in position to be competitive in their first show. Uh, and so I don't want to put somebody in way over their head. You know, if, if this is going to be a process where you know, maybe we're doing a show sooner than would be optimal. The last thing I want to do is, is, is say like, okay, you're probably a year away from being competitive in the open stage. Um, but let's go ahead and put you in there anyway. It's like, eh. You know, I don't see a lot of value in that necessarily. So, um, but yeah, no, for, for category crossovers, no, damn it. Ugh, division crossovers, totally cool. Absolutely. You, you, you said it right. You know, you're paying all that money. Um, you know, take, take the time. Absolutely. Do, do as many as you want. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody aside from me and the audience maybe is going to uh, roll their eyes at you. And, it, you know, if, if I'm there and you're my client, I'm cheering you on. I'm not going to you'll be the one person I don't give a crap about seeing on stage four times. So it's all good. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> very good question, though. So I want to talk about um, something else that came up here. Um, I put this in my little ideas folder here. So let me check the time. Hold on. What is the time? Thirty seven ten. OK, cool. Oh, shoot. I messed up. Thirty seven now it's not 37.10 anymore. Where are we at? We're at 37 and 19. Okay, so uh, I got an email here from Anton. Thank you, Anton. And I uh, um, I answered this in email to him, but I thought it was a good, a good uh, question nonetheless. And he said, um, is the bantamweight division, we're talking bodybuilding now, that's the only, only place that really exists anymore where we have weight classes called that. So is the bantamweight division for anyone in that weight class of 143 pounds, why is there no bantamweight in the Olympia? Olympia is only men's physique, classic 212 open. Uh, and the answer is yes, it is. So bantamweight, the cutoff for that is up to and including 143 and a quarter pounds. Um, so what, what are all the, uh, the NPC weight classes here? Um, I know heavyweights, uh, up to 225 or is it 225 and a quarter? Let me just see here. NPC bodybuilding weight classes. Let me get the numbers right. So yeah, bantamweight is the lightest one. That's up to 143 and a quarter. Lightweight is from 143 and a quarter up to 154 and a quarter. Why and a quarter? I don't have any freaking clue at all. It's stupid. Um, middleweight 154 and a quarter up to 176 and a quarter light heavy goes up to 198 and a quarter heavyweight goes up to 225 and a quarter super heavy as anything over that so bantamweight is the lightest one um, there is no featherweight division or anything like that bantamweight is it so um, yeah why is there no bantamweight in the Olympia that's a great question so there's no bantamweight in any pro classes so the NPC makes that distinction um, you know bantam light middle light heavy heavy super um, the NPC then feeds into the IFBB so you're an NPC amateur you win your pro card you're now an IFBB pro um, the IFBB, IFBB I don't give a shit 
they they make one distinction: two twelve under or over. That's it. Um, and I tell you what, if you're two thirteen, you 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 aren't you aren't in the open category. What this basically means is, you know, guys that are pretty much you know shorter or taller than five four. <laughs> That's what you're looking at in the in the IFBB, because you know I can compete as a two twelve. I'd be the only guy six foot tall competing as a two twelve, and I would be last place every single time, no question about it. You, when you're eight inches taller than everybody else at the same website, that means they got way more muscle than you do. So you you are not gonna look the part or even close to it. So yeah, it's it's basically the the short guy division and everybody else. And if you're two fifteen. 220 pounds, you're not going to be competitive in the open. Um, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Now you, you'll find some, some shorter guys competing in the open as well that aren't, aren't packing on stage at 260 or whatever. Um, but you, you got to look the part, you got to be proportioned. Um, so it, it's kind of funny. Like, I don't know that that was necessarily the idea when they made the 212 division, which used to be the 202 division to be clear also. And then they, they bumped it up a handful of years back to 212. Um, cause 202 was just too restrictive apparently. Um, I don't know if the intention was to just make it for the shortest guys possible. Um, but that's what, that's what's happened. Um, I think it was, well, let's give the smaller guys a chance. Well, they're not smaller. They're just shorter, but the proportion, like the bigger guys, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's kind of silly. So basically, if you're a bantamweight, let's say you're, you compete in the NPC as a bantamweight, you get nationally qualified, you go compete at a national show, you win your pro card as a bantamweight, you're now an IFBB pro. Great. Your competitive career is over. That's it. That's the end of the road for you. As a bantamweight, you cannot compete as a 212. I mean, you can, but you you will you. <laughs> everybody who competes in the two twelve division, they're coming in at like minimum two oh six, two oh seven, two oh eight. They're coming in right at the top of that weight that weight cap. Um, they're not coming in at one hundred and forty three pounds. So you're going to be outweighed by as much as seventy pounds. No, I mean, you know, I I don't understand. Um, I mean, for, first of all, I just don't think that they sh they should do a few things. They should make the distinction, or the, the NPC should not make the distinction and just do like, okay, well, you're going to compete as you know. I I don't have an I don't have an answer for this. I don't know why there why there's a bantamweight um, class at national level shows, um, simply because it's the end of the road. I mean, why would you want to win a pro card then? Because then you can't compete anymore. I mean, that's that's the end of it. You, you once you have your IFBB pro card, you can't compete in NPC show. It's more about like. As a guy, why would you do that? Why would you compete as a bantamweight at nationals? Which is why typically there aren't a lot of people in those classes. There aren't a lot of guys in there. Um, and I think it's because you can't compete anymore after that. You're done. You're done. I mean, unless, unless you have the capacity. So you, you've got a physique that's that's complete and mature enough to win a pro card. And now suddenly you think you can pack on another 50 pounds. That seems pretty unlikely to me. I don't know. Um so it, it's kind of silly. Why why doesn't the IFBB make, make that distinction? Um, why do they just have the open two twelve classic physique, men's physique? You know, I guess it's money more than anything else. Um, simplify things a little bit, which I can appreciate. You know, wanting to make a shorter show and have fewer classes involved, um, I can appreciate that. Excuse me. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've got these people who earn earn pro cards and their career is basically just over at that point. They can't compete anymore. So I, I don't know. Um, part of it also is I think the money, you know, people go to see bodybuilding, uh, a, a pro bodybuilding show. 
um, is there a market to see guys in a 143 pound category? Well, I mean, there is for boxing, right? So, I mean, you know, everybody's like really interested in the heavyweights, but you know, the, the other, uh, weight classes, they, it's not like they get no attention. You know, you can, you can find some great fighters in those categories as well. So, um, why doesn't the, the, why don't the pro ranks of bodybuilding appreciate that as well? I don't, I think that's a really good question. I think they should. Um, so, and that, that's coming from a guy who the last thing I want to do is see longer shows, but at the same time, I think there should be an outlet professionally for the guys who have busted their ass and put in the work, um, to be competitive on a pro stage against one another. I don't think there's any reason for that not to happen realistically. So great question, Anton. Um, I appreciate that. So, um, let me see here. Uh, oh, I think that's all I got. I'm tired. <laughs> Mostly, like I can't stop yawning, and I keep clearing my throat. I'm just kind of, kind of fatigued, and also I just realized, like, man, I am really, really hungry. So I got to do something there. So now I've got to think of some cool exit music. I think I've got the idea here. I'm gonna let this play out for a little bit so you can hear it because it's worth it. So this exit music um, that I will leave rolling here. This is. Uh, Drive. This is our song Drive from the upcoming album. Um, this is the the outro of it. I'm going to probably roll about 30 or 45 seconds of it so you can hear it. Um, this is uh, Mr. Andy Wood on guitar at his finest. And I tell you what, watching him lay down this solo in the studio and being there and being able to give him some feedback on it, my feedback was like, holy shit, man, that was amazing. But being in the room for it and watching him do this thing in one take off the cuff, completely improvised. And, you know, he, he's like, mm, okay, I think I've got a plan. Okay, here we go. Like not practicing anything, but just doing it completely, <laughs> almost 100% spontaneous. Not having heard the song at all five minutes prior to this also was really like one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in my life. So without any further ado, take it away and take us out of here, Mr. Andy Wood. Andy Wood.